I mean, it really was on a wing and a prayer. I mean, I, I can't tell you how, how much it was on a wing and a right. prayer. It sounds silly, isn't it, that poo could stop you, <laughs> you, 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 you developing a business. You're listening to the next episode of The Curveball, a podcast brought to you by Jersey Business. I'm Chris Morris, and today I've got the pleasure to speak with Christina Lefever, co-owner with her husband Carlton of Amazing Adventure Park, based in St. Peter, and famous for its amazing Maze Maze. So I got chatting with Chris, who explains how they both had some big decisions to make around the future of the family farm and what it would take to survive a declining business. For anyone who's struggled in business or has had a big challenge to overcome in their lives, then this one is definitely for you. So hi, Christina. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for having me. Great. We've got great weather today, so um, I'm sure your place is bustling yeah I'm, I'm glad we're here earlier rather than later for a couple of reasons it's probably going to get hot in the office here but um, obviously we're quite busy um, and uh, yes there was a little queue when we opened this morning so that was great good good um, so I just wanted to kind of have a chat with you about your kind of career and where you are today and obviously the kind of the journey along the way um, and then what kind of ch- challenges curveballs opportunities have, have kind of cropped up as you've gone so just kind of start me off at the beginning um so tell me how did you get started are you originally from jersey or yeah i'm jersey born my great grandparents came over as french farm workers okay and i've been in the island obviously all my life and the same for my mum and the same for my grandmother and we um originally came from the east of the island right um i started off in banking at 16 um, I came from a family we just I couldn't afford to go to university and, and I knew that would be the case all the way through. I would have loved to have studied law, um, but I knew that wasn't a possibility. So right. I went into banking at 16. That's where the jobs were in the 80s. I was very fortunate in that they were really desperate for people and I moved up very quickly. So I was running a, a reconciliations department at 20. I was money dealing at 22 and a treasury analyst so I got quite a good grounding yeah um, from the industry it, which has really helped me as we've gone forward okay fab at what point did you leave finance to do what you're doing today okay well I met Carlton okay and Carlton was a grower uh, his family originally had one of the largest farms on the island uh, based in the west right um, you're from the east. Yeah, I, I was from the east. Yeah, <laughs> the irony is actually there's a little story behind this because the irony is my grandmother used to work picking potatoes for Carlton's family in the east. They were labbies. Oh really? Yeah, and um, they used to work. And my grandmother used to pick potatoes for his grandmother. So it's very oh, wow. it's fascinating, isn't it? How how life evolves. Yeah. And um, so I met Carlton, married him in 1991. Right. I had Francesca in 1993 three and Tamara in 95 and Jared in 96. Okay brilliant. So I was a farmer's wife Um, we had a long discussion um, about what would happen. Um, The farm was already struggling a little bit. My father-in-law wanted me to come in and help with the books and things Yeah. and I sat down with my husband and I said I can't see myself being happy um, being a farm secretary. Yeah. Um, I had quite a a position of responsibility in finance even though I was fairly young yeah so we compromised as you do with marriages and I said I'd give him five years 
I'd give him five years. Okay. I'd help him get over this sort of farming hump. And, um, and if I wasn't happy, I would go back to work in finance. Okay. And this was kind of an, around 99, was it? Well, Is I gave what? up work in 93 Okay. Um, to have my first daughter. And so I'd sort of given him to 1998, and then I was going to go back into finance if I wasn't happy. Okay. So across those five years, what... What happened? Um, well, a lot happened. We we moved into the farm in 1997. Um, we bought it in 1999. Right. And it just takes one bad year or, or two bad years in farming to really realise... Uh, we realised if we had another bad year, we were risking the farm itself. Right. Um, so we had to really sit down and work out what was the best for us and what was the best for our family and what was the best for the children and after a, a huge discussion um we decided to stop export farming and we were one of the first farmers to do that actually i mean obviously now farming is very very different a lot of farms have amalgamated and a lot of people have come out the industry yeah we didn't have animals so it was crop growing and we decided to come out of the industry for export farming in 1999 right and I'm sure that that was a massive decision then, especially given that your husband. Yeah, yeah he'd worked that, that in the farm. Kind of since, yeah, he'd worked in the farm since he was 15. His uh, dad was a grower. His um, grandfather was a grower. Right. So there was a huge sense of failure uh, at the time. I think we we felt we'd made the right decision, but emotionally it was a huge decision to make. Um, I know he won't mind me saying, but uh, my husband had a, a huge breakdown. Right. And um, for a year, it was a case of just trying to keep the family together and, and just trying to keep everything running smoothly. Yeah. Obviously, there was a lot of... When you break up a business that, that large, there's a lot of things to do. There's a lot of um, you know machinery to sell and things like that. Yeah. Um, my father-in-law was really supportive, and we just had to get through it. My husband had a partner at the time, so there was a lot of emotional... Uh, uh, emotional issues that, that came up from it yeah although everybody felt it was the right thing to do so we got to the year um we got to 1999 and and you know it was a scary place yeah and were you still you're still on the farm at this point you're still what what was kind of running through your mind um, you, you've effectively I you're think, closing the farm but you're yeah i think um my father-in-law, who we bought the farm off, had bought the farm in 1959. So, obviously, um, you're trying to service a mortgage with yeah. no income. And so that was incredibly scary. We had three very young children. Uh, you know, they were six, four and three. Right. Um, and we had to look at options about how the business could work for us. So, I had a meeting with planning. Yeah. And I said, what, what can I do? And they said, nothing. You're a farm. It has to stay a farm. If it's not being farmed, you know, you, there's no there's no options for right. you. You can't do. So they said, so I said, well, you know, how, how does XY Farm and Z Farm manage this? And they said, well, they're a mixed unit. Um, so when you've got a mixed unit, you've got a few more options, but okay. you're not a mixed unit. You're purely growing. You're the packing station for the west of the island, and, and that's what you do. You're purely agriculture. Right. So I went away and, and got a copy of the um, planning Bible and, and re literally read it back to front about four times. And then um, about a month later, we opened a farm shop. 
and so um, planning said you can't do that you can't just open a farm shop but we were really lucky my mother-in-law and 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 cotton's grandmother had run a farm shop um, from this particular okay. building for many years and they'd closed it when um, granny Lefevre got too old and so that building was still there it was just being used for storage right. so we literally used the same building yeah. and sold the produce that we grew um, and that is allowed that is allowed you can sell your own produce from your own place so immediately we were a mixed unit right so I went back to planning I said right I'm a mixed unit you know what can I do um, we had a good look at it and we, we tried to come up with ideas of how we could make the farm work for us there were inherent issues we were on tight tanks we had no mains water um, so, so at this point, you're still trying to effectively make the farm work. Yeah. You're kind of thinking. I think it wasn't so much that um, we were being dogmatic about it. It was the fact of the history that came with the farm as yeah. well. So, uh, and when you've had, when you've given up, um, had to give up an industry and you've had a major depression, you don't want to lose your home as well. Yeah. So as, as adults we just looked at it and thought thought how can we make that farm work yeah um so i sent my husband away um with another grower to a farm retailers association conference right. and really it was just a case of trying to get him interested in the farm shop and and trying to get him to to to, to look at other angles yeah. and um like i said he was coming out of a major depression and he came back really excited. Right. Uh, he'd met a guy called Adrian Fisher, who's like the grandfather of maize mazes. And he was so excited. He said, I've seen this guy, you know, I really think this could work for us. You know, if we put up a, a, a marquee entrance and, and um, you know, add a couple of hay bales and stuff, you know, we could do something really different, get people into the countryside. I'd still be using the same machinery and doing the same job. Um, so we sat down and looked at the the very poor finances. Um, yeah. We worked out that we could give we could try it for a year, um, and if that didn't work in that year, then you know the farm would have to go. Right. So we opened on July the first with our very first maze maze, which was in the shape of a totem pole. No advertising. It was purely word of mouth. We had a nice um, article in the Jersey Evening Post. Yeah. And so we opened, I think, on the 18th of July. We closed, uh, we opened on the 1st of July. We closed mid-September. And in that first season, we had 18,000 people. Wow. So we both went, wow, there is something here um, that we can work on. So, yeah, yeah. so that, I mean, it was pure chance. You know, it was, it wasn't, a lot of people say when you set up your own business you're, you're entrepreneurial um to me it was survival right and so that's how the business came about and uh, the rest is history wow so you've so so he's met this guy in the uk come over with this kind of idea so how did you go about actually kind of realizing that idea was it did you just immediately know that that was the way forward or I think for me, if I'm honest, it was more a case of um, I, I was more skeptical. Right. I think for me, it was a case of um, helping Carlton okay. um, get over his the, the huge change in his life. Um, being a supportive wife, and a, a lot of people think it's my idea. It wasn't. It was his. Right. 
And again, we went back to planning and we said, look, we're going to start this maze maze. And they said, well, you can't do that. Really? And I said, well, look, I've read the planning document. You, uh, you know, <laughs> tell me where it says you can't charge somebody to walk through a, a crop. We're growing a crop on a field um, with no no extra, there's no extra buildings or anything. Yeah. And they agreed to let us sort of try it for a couple of years and then we had to make a formal planning application right. and uh, i was right there was nothing in in um in in the planning law yeah, yeah. to stop me doing that but obviously for them they were worried it would it we were doing it um underhand and by default yeah um i think you know over the years they did realize that we w were serious in what we were doing and and you know we managed to work together yeah so how did you, if you had 18,000 people in that first year, mm. how did you cope with that? I mean, that must have been some shift. Yeah, we still had the um, farm workers or some of the farm workers because obviously they were still um, closing up with businesses and things to do. And you're yeah. still in charge of managing the land. So we still had some farm workers working with us. So we just put them in costumes oh, great. and uh, plonked them in the maze. And um, I mean, it really was on a wing and a prayer. I mean, I, I can't tell you how how much it was on a wing. And a right. Um, we uh, contacted um, a, a till company and we bought a secondhand till. Um, we set prices. We didn't have a website, obviously, or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just spent some time going around some of the bigger hotels that have got families like the Merton and explaining what we were doing. Yeah. Um, so there was no advertising at all. It was purely just spending the time and the effort on, on opening this yeah. first maze. So what year is this? Um, that was... Uh, 2001, because we've got our 20 years next year. Oh, okay, yeah. fab. So then after that first year, you kind of take a breath, realise that it's been a success, and then what next? Um, we continued like that, just opening for those um, few weeks, for 10 right. weeks of the year, um, up until 2006. Okay. And then we realised that if we needed to, you know, if we wanted to, to do this seriously and, and make a serious tourism business, then we needed to open for a longer period. Okay. So in 2007, we opened from April to September. And with, that's the year that, again, we went back to planning and we said to them, right, we're, we're trying to work backwards. This is what we'd like to do. And, and we're sort of worried about doing it. So here is a massive document of 10 things we would like to do. Tell us what we can do. Right. And um, the, you know, lots of meetings. But we were really lucky. Planning were actually quite supportive. Yeah. I mean, you've obviously got to go within the planning law. I think we were very much outside the box. Um, when the, the document had been drafted, somebody like us wasn't envisaged. And the, but they were supportive and, and kudos to them because they could see where we were trying to go. I think they could see we were passionate about what we wanted to do. Yeah. And we got most of what we wanted to do passed. So in 2007, we built our toboggan. We made a proper um, outdoor activity area. Yeah. Um, and we opened from April to September. So we were a proper sort of seasonal summer business. Yeah, great. So how did you go about putting together the 10 things like did that just come from yeah i think it just, research it just or, came from like, experience i mean okay. there were there were lots of little things and some of them we haven't gone ahead and done right um but it was a, a, 
we needed staff accommodation. We knew that we needed staff accommodation. So um, like um, most farmers back in the 80s and 90s, we originally had cabins. We wanted to um, value our staff. Yeah. We didn't know how we were going to pay for it, but we just went through with all, it's a, it's a five year before you start. And, you know, if you don't start in those five years, you lose it. Yeah. And we thought, well, we'll, we'll put all these plans in we'll, we'll tell them what we want to do i mean at the time i think putting planning applications in was far cheaper than it is now so that's what we did we just sat down and worked out what we needed right and, and what we wanted to do i mean there was a lot of inherent issues on the property for the first um up for those first few years we were operating on a tight tank right so you know once a month you know they had to come and empty the tanks which was hugely expensive i mean you know that was probably one of our biggest expenses in right. emptying that tight tank that massive tight tank every month so um i sat down and i lobbied every states member i think i wrote 52 letters oh, really and i pointed out that we were very near Val de Lamar and I felt that the mains drains should be up in, at our end of the island and when I first spoke to Jersey Water I think there were all, all, all TTS or whatever it was at the time there was no mains drains planned they had a plan right up till to they had a 20-year plan and, and we were not on it so right. they, we were not on it for mains drains at all but within 18 months we had mains drains so I think it's Brilliant. I think it's just it, you, when we talk about curveballs, it it is knowing what the issue is and trying to find a solution to it. I think sometimes for a lot of people, the issue seems so daunting. And it, it yeah. is daunting. I mean, to try and persuade the states of Jersey to bring main strains all the way down a road where there's yeah. a few farms and, and granite properties... Um, was daunting it seemed daunting at the time yeah. but we just slogged away at it and we just kept pointing out that we should have it and then they had this big mainstreams debate and a couple of the state's members mentioned St Peter because right. because it was because there been, yeah. yeah and then we sort of slowly moved up the list and then like I said in 18 months so that took a big part of the expense away I mean yeah. it sounds silly isn't it that who could stop you, <laughs> you, 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 you developing a business? But effectively, that's what it was. I mean, yeah. it was just that the cost was so prohibitive. Yeah. Wow. So, in terms of your kind of role, and then obviously your husband's role, what? How do you do? You kind of complement each other? Like, who does what? Like. Yeah, we work we work um, really well together actually. Okay. And but if you'd have said to me when I got married in 1991 that I would be working seven days a week with my husband, I would have gone in one direction and he would probably <laughs> have gone in the other. Um, it's not for everybody. Yeah. And I think why it's worked for us is that we have got totally separate roles. Okay. So for example, years ago, um, um, my grandmother died of cancer when I was 18. And my mum died of ovarian cancer when I was 24. Right. So between the ages of 18 and 26, I used to organise these, ma whilst I was in finance, I used to organise these massive fashion shows up at Fort Regent in right. the Rotunda. And I think over the period of time, we probably raised £100,000 for cancer relief. So I used to do that whilst I was working full time. We used to get loads of shops involved and people used to pay £10 a ticket and come and watch it. Right. But little did I know then that the skills I was learning then in working for charity yeah actually really stood me in good stead you know we used to develop a program and we used to print a program and i used to work with an advertising company right. and i used to chase people up for adverts um and i used to have to cajole the shops into giving us clothes i mean an 18 year old walking into tabushi saying i just need to borrow 
five rails of clothes. <laughs> yeah. You know, and a lot of people did take a leap of faith. And it was a brilliant time whilst we did it. You know, those fashion shows um, raised so much money for charity yeah. and were absolutely brilliant. But those skills I learned then are skills I'm still using today. Right. So life has got a funny way of um, yeah, sort preparing of helping, you preparing almost. you along the way. Yeah. So going back to your original question, I used my... Um, I, you know, numerically, I, I I enjoy working with numbers and working with figures. Yeah. So that was the obvious choice for me. So yeah. I sit down and I set, um, we look at the cost of running the business, we set the prices, I deal with the wages, um, and, and sort of everything that's office-based, I do the advertising, um, really a jack of all trades and a master of none. <laughs> Um, now, my husband is severely dyslexic, right? and he struggles with reading and writing, um, which is, I think, really hard when you've got a good brain, and, yeah. and but you can't articulate it in paper. Yeah. I mean, it's brilliant now because you've got podcasts and things like that, but those weren't around then. Yeah. Um, so he used his skills, um, engineering skills, and things like that to develop a lot of the attractions that we have developed. Right. And um, obviously safety has always been our paramount um, point whenever we're doing anything. But yeah. it, when you haven't got a lot, you have to think outside the box. So we really did have to think about what can we do that would have an impact but wouldn't cost too much, yeah. you know, obviously whilst we were setting up. And, and so that for many years, that was how we used to run. Right. And so you're 20 years this year or next year? Next year, Next yeah. year. So over those 20 years, I mean, just talk to me about kind of how it's developed and where you are today. Yeah, so 2007 was a pivotal point because we moved from April to mid-September. So we were open longer. Yeah. Um, we changed our name then um, to Amazing Adventure Park rather than Amazing Maze, but that has probably hasn't been very successful. <laughs> You know, and you know, I don't mind what people call us. You yeah. know, it's lovely. Amazing Maze is a bit like um, it's a bit like a fond nickname, isn't yeah. it? The problem is, is when a visitor comes in in April and they go, "Where's the maze?" And you say, "Well, it's open from the first of July because the soil's too cold before that." Why are you called Amazing Maze? Well, we're not. Do you see that big five foot sign at the entrance? So um, for, we don't get so much of that now, but probably for a good ten years we were sort of fighting. Uh, you know, the right. name that people. I mean, and there's people now who call us Amazing Maze that that weren't even on the island in 2007 so yeah. anyway we rather unsuccessfully changed our name yeah. in uh, 2007 to amazing adventure park and we opened from april to september um and then obviously the next big thing for us was we knew that um we would need an indoor area and we applied I'm trying to think when we first applied actually i think it was 2010 Okay. Um, for an indoor play barn, we put plans in. Um, th there was a long history with that, but it, unfortunately, for such a big building, we had one complaint, but it was quite vociferous. Right. Um, and unfortunately, we found out on the day we were going to planning it, it was going to be recommended for refusal, and it was refused in 2010. Right. And that sort of set us back on our hunches a little bit. I think we felt quite 
um, dejected. It was very difficult to know where to go forward. We, we knew which way the business wanted to go. Um, for the first time, um, we couldn't convey what we were trying to do to planning. Yeah. And I can understand the restrictions. I mean, we're 20 years in now, um, and I think we've proved that what we said we'd do is what we'd do, but there was always um, a sense of scepticism as well. Yeah. It, the island plan at that time was a bit ambiguous, so they um, interpreted it against us rather than for us. So we sat back really for a couple of years and we just thought, you know, what, what are we going to do and how are we going to do it? And um, probably three years later, I had a phone, two years, three years later, I had a phone call from planning. And they said, we want you to withdraw your planning application because it's sitting on our files. It's making it look like um, we, you know, it's still pending, right. you know, um, because uh, I presume it was slightly different then, but you haven't withdrawn it. So, so it's, it's still, sort of sitting it's still kind there. Of lodged, it's sort of, yeah, although it had been refused, it, it, it was still sort of sitting there not doing anything. And yeah. I, so I said, no, no, I'm not withdrawing it. I'm going to leave it there because it's going to. Um, frustrate you as much as it frustrates us <laughs> um, and it sort of set us all talking again you right. know about what we were going to do um, and thank goodness because obviously the fees were going up hugely so we put in an amended plan right. in um, 2014 that was probably one of the huge turning points for us because the build cost was 1.4 million and um, wow. We didn't have 1.4 million. Um, we didn't have 1 million. We didn't have 0.4 million. So, uh, so it was it was really difficult to to make that decision. I mean, when you have to take on risk as a family, don't forget we'd gone through yeah. this huge yeah. risk ten years earlier. Yeah. Um, I can't say we were necessarily out of the woods, but we were certainly better than we were at that point. Yeah. So to take on a huge debt again with the possibility of it not working, we said, do we want to put ourselves through that again? Do we want to put ourselves and our family through the risk of, you know, overextending ourselves and not doing it? So we looked at a, a number of options. Um, you know, we sold off buildings. We... Um, spoke to the bank about what we could borrow and right. we were again were a bit of an anomaly we'd never taken any income out of the business it had all been reinvested so we couldn't show that we had a, a regular income coming right. in and um we got to the stage where we thought we could sort of you know get up to a certain point and and we couldn't get any further so there was this gap between whether we could build it or not build it right um and we applied for a tourism grant um before we even got there, it was a huge discussion about whether we wanted to do it or not. I think it's really difficult. Grants are not popular. Yeah. And it was a really difficult discussion about whether or not we go for this grant because we, we there's going to be some kickback and you know there's going to be kickback. Yeah. And and I understand it. It's, it's not that I don't understand it. And it was really difficult for us about whether or not we did it. Um, but we felt it was a bit of a long shot, so we thought... We'll, put it in in the hands of, of of somebody else and if it is approved it's approved and if it's not we move on and we look at something else right and um it was approved it was the the largest private grant that was approved right. and it enabled us to get to that stage just 
I mean, just, it was really tight. Right. Um, where we got to that stage where we could go ahead with the build for this planning application that had been passed. Right. So we did as much of the work as we could ourselves, the dig out, um, laying cables, etc., etc. And it was really touch and go as to how it would work. And the play barn opened on March the 27th in 2015. So now you've got the indoor um, space as well. Yeah. So has that meant that you've been able to expand as a business and that's kind of taken you on to the next yeah. level? One of the reasons we got the grant was because we looked, we said we'd like to open all year. So we felt very responsible for that, um, that we put on a programme of events in the shoulder months, which is obviously what tourism was trying to do. Yeah. So we looked at various ways that we could extend the season. I mean, it is difficult. I mean, uh, when we get time, I, tr I, I like to go to on holiday to Cyprus uh, and their season is April to September. Yeah. And, you know, the weather's amazing. So, you know, for Jersey to do that, it, you are pushing an uphill battle. So we started looking at Halloween, um, which is now probably our second or third most successful week of right. the year. Yep. And um, we put in a place a lot of things that we could do to help extend the season and we do feel that sense of responsibility as we go through you know the yeah. we go back to the original application and we look at, at what we need to do to support it well, we're lucky it has been successful so in effect you know the returns from the business whether it's gst or taxes or whatever effectively it, it's been repaid but i mean it was a big leap of faith whether or not that would happen or not yeah yeah Great. So in terms of your own kind of um, your own involvement in it sounds like you've got quite a, a kind of a vested interest in the business community. And what other things have you done outside of the business itself? Um, well, funnily enough, timing probably wasn't brilliant, but I got approached by the um, president of the chamber. It, right. it rang me up and asked me for a coffee. So I said, well, OK, it's a bit okay no problem well I'll, I'll sit down and have a coffee and he yeah popped up to see me in i think the end of 2014 so obviously right. we're in the middle of this massive build process and just said that um he'd like me to become his vice president of chamber and obviously then take over the presidency right so it was a that was a huge curveball because I've always had an interest in politics and you know I've I've always given out leaflets for people. I mean, since I've been eighteen, nineteen, I, yeah. I find it fascinating. It's certainly not something I'd want to do myself because I, I like to bang my own drum. I like if I want to do something, I'm at it full speed, <laughs> yeah. and um, I think I'd find the whole process far too frustrating for me. So it's not something I I would do myself. But I've liked Put it on supporting. The record. Yeah, I just. <laughs> I would never, I would never do it myself. I'd find the whole process far too frustrating. And I have a lot of sympathy for politicians. I mean, it is hard, you know. It's like this massive beast, and and I like to cut through all of that and literally go from A to B. So I'm, I'm not, you know, I I work to to determine. Uh, it sounds. I, I'm going to get my knickers in a twist, but um, it's not for me. So uh, you know, I I got asked and. Um, Based in St. Peter's, I, I'm not one of these people who walk around town and 
chat retail with people yeah um i did sit on a number of committees a small business forum and things like that so i'd always been involved um but not heavily involved in the business community i just didn't have the time i don't have the time to go to town for lunch and things like that so i mean what a fantastic opportunity you know and but i i i I never look at myself and think I can't do something. I look at myself and think, how am I going to do it? Um, But this was way outside my comfort zone. Um, So I went home. I said, look, I I need to have a really good think about this. And and I need to to have a think and and see what I feel I could do. And I went home and I had a long chat with Carlton. And I said, you know, what do you think? And he said the same thing. He said, it's a fantastic opportunity. You know, you've always been interested in politics. He yeah. said, you you, you know your stuff. You, you research well. You, you're not scared of saying what you think. <laughs> yeah. And he said, you know, I think you do a really good job. But he said, is the timing right? So I went back to the then president and I said, right, what, how much time do you spend? He said, well, I, I pop in for, you know, a, a morning a week. We have a meeting every week. And then, you know, once a month you've got your lunch and you have to prepare a speech for that. And he said, yeah, a couple of meetings with politicians. Yeah. He said, not too onerous. So I went back, discussed it with Carlton. And um, I just felt that the opportunity might not come up again. Yeah. And I just so fascinated in how how it works and 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 what happens and i agreed to do it but he lied <laughs> he oh, lied no. about how much time it was oh, no. and and i did, well i think the problem is with the president <laughs> i think the problem is with the presidency of chamber is it really is how much time you want to put into yeah. it and i am a perfectionist and um, and there was a lot to do both internally and externally, so spent a lot of time tidying up the internal. It, you, when you've got a small business mindset, you know you can't have a ten-year-old handbook and a, you know. So there was a lot of stuff to do internally as well as externally. And the problem for me is having to come from St Peter's for every meeting means I'm adding an hour onto each meeting. Yeah. And you know, often I'd have a meeting with the head of social security at ten thirty, and then I'd have a meeting with the, um, you know, the economic team at two thirty in the afternoon which is yeah. fine if you work in town you just pop out but for me that's the whole day yeah uh, that fascinating fascinating um experience and i was really lucky and i think there was a lot of interest because i was the first female president right um and i am a little bit outside the box and i just i mean i was outside my comfort zone yeah and there were times and i thought what on earth am i doing but i think with anything, with research, um, taking the time to look at things. Um, we had some very frank discussions with politicians. <laughs> and um, it was fascinating. I mean, it's a fascinating insight into what goes on when you're effectively a little bit, maybe not like the opposition, because often we like to work with with government. You yeah. know, we've all got the same aim. We want a prosperous jersey. Yeah. We want a rights for workers, but we want the businesses, to, the, the difficulties with businesses right, to be yeah. recognised. Yeah. So we've all got the same aim, but we're just taking parallel lanes to get there. So occasionally when they converge and they clash and, and, and you have to sort it out. But it was a fascinating four years because I spent two years as vice president and two years as president. Right. So a busy four years. I think the opening of the play barn 
going back to that in 2015 because money was so tight um, and we were really trying to get the best possible bang for our buck I mean it was 16 hour days for a year and a half at yeah. uh, seven days a week and it was probably the closest I came to thinking you know I, I can't do this um, I was exhausted I had chillblains from sitting in an office with a concrete concrete floor. <laughs> and you said, this may sound funny, but I'll tell you what, chillblains are really painful. I can imagine. You know, when you're trying to hobble off to work and hobble back. Um, you know, there was a lot, a huge amount of early mornings, late nights. I've got had three young, you know, my children were still um, relatively young. You know, they the oldest was... Um, uh, you know, I mean, they they're in their twenties now, but they still need you. Even if they're teens, they need you. Yeah, yeah. So it was very hard to try and give each area of my life the time that it needed. And with hindsight, the timing for Chamber was not brilliant, um, but it was a fantastic experience, and I'm glad I did it. Yeah, great. So, what does um, success look like to you? Um, security. Uh, I, I'm not interested in in flash cars and um, we were just talking about this before we started you know <laughs> posh clothes or or it's security for me I come from a background um, that was hard my childhood was hard you know yeah. I used to go to the shop um, for half a loaf of bread because my mum couldn't afford a whole full one and you know, they used to right. chop the loaf of bread I don't don't think they do that now but I mean you know you used to go up to the corner shop and they used to chop a loaf of bread in half and we used to buy half a loaf right. and down to the local farmer for milk and I used to have milk warm milk dunked in bread as a filler you know when money got short right. so when you come from that background security was the biggest issue for me you know I wanted security for my children I wanted security for my family yeah um, and it's it, it's probably um, an irony in that Carlton and I a great like that we're a great team um the same things are important to us you know we're not worried that we still had a, a second answer to for 20 years it doesn't bother us and yeah. what, what worries us more is um the security for our family and now the security for our staff when you've got a small team yeah um you, you want to pay them well you want to look after them within a tourism business there aren't as many perks you know i'd love to give them all uh, top cover health insurance we just can't do it so you try and do that by creating a nice working environment yeah. and and I do feel a responsibility even for the ones that don't work you know that the 18 year olds who come in and 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 struggle um I've done more than one welfare check this year right. <laughs> so, yeah, so you know I drive off to their home and um just check they're okay yeah. because they haven't turned up for a couple of days and and you're sort of slapping your face on one side and then grateful you did it on the other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're thinking, oh, this is ridiculous. But, you know, just if, if something's happened and they're lying there and... Um, yeah. So the staff are really important, you know, and I, 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 I'm very protective of the staff. Um, staffing is the biggest issue we face at the moment. We, being even based in St Peter's, a lot of people want to work in town. You know, a lot of people are moving towards living in town. Yeah. And a lot of people want to work in town. So the, even the the base is difficult, you know, to get people to catch a bus, uh, come to St Peter's and yeah. bus yeah. back home again. Um, and we are trying to find staff in an industry that's probably looked down on. 
in a fully employed workforce effectively yeah so it really is hard i mean there's the people who do come and do stay they learn a huge amount of skills yeah and we do push the staff you know we'll say right you do that you go and do that give it a try come back let me know how you've got on try abc yeah um and i love seeing the staff grow and you know move on in some cases you know it means you're doing your job properly yeah but it, it the staffing is the the biggest issue great so if you were to leave um one piece of advice with somebody who's listening what would it be believe in yourself i think especially for a woman a lot of people ask why there's not more women in higher roles and i think that a lot of it is confidence yeah. I think have belief in your product, have belief in yourself, see a goal, and rather than look at it as insurmountable, work out ways. It might not always be A to B, you might have to take a few side roads, but work out how you're going to get there and go for it. You, you can only fail. Yeah. You know, you can only fail. And I think it it's better to have tried and failed I mean that's an old saying isn't it it's better to have tried and failed than not tried at all yeah love that um, so where can people find the um, oh, yeah, come the on. <laughs> <laughs> what are we called <laughs> amazing adventure park it, um, amazing well done amazing adventure park is based in St Peter's as you head down from St Peter's towards St Juan it is the last property in fact actually if you straddle the road that leads you in you're on St Juan's on one side and St Peter's on the other oh really yeah the, it, there used to be a stream running through the property right and our house used to be in St Juan's and the farm used to be in St Peter's and years ago when they sort of rearranged it we all got stuck put into St Peter's but um, we do feel like uh, partly St Wannies at heart <laughs> very good and what's the website address uh, jerseyleisure.com okay brilliant thanks very much Chris good to speak to you thank you thanks, thanks. bye you've been listening to The Curveball a podcast by Jersey Business presented by Chris Morris of Interval Marketing to find more episodes of our podcasts go to our website or wherever you usually get your podcasts from for more information on how Jersey Business can support you on your business journey, visit our website at jerseybusiness.je.